Welcome to Life Snacks. This is a podcast on a mission to help a woman navigate post-grad life together through snack-sized stories, but life-changing advice. This is for every one of us out there dealing with the realities of life after college that no one talks about. For those of you that may be feeling lost, you are not alone. Join me on this journey to get to the bottom of the shit we weren't taught in school. We'll discuss health, wealth, relationships, careers, and how to truly create our greatest lives. We've got big visions and big missions, so we're breaking them down bite by bite to help you make your postgrad dreams a reality. I'm your host, Lauren Tierney, and let's get snacking. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode. Happy Christmas week. I hope everyone is hanging in there and staying healthy. It is a crazy times, but we're going to get through it and sending you all extra love during this Christmas season. I am coming at you live from my mother's closet. So new recording location this week, but I am so excited to share today's episode with you all. Today, our guest is the founder of, I don't know if I can say this, I think I have like four top favorite snack brands right now, and Doe is definitely one of them. Sabina Lada is the CEO and founder of Doe. It's spelled D-E-U-X. You've probably seen it on my Instagram stories, and tons of influencers are also obsessed with the product, so it's really been all over social media. But Doe is a healthier, better-for-you cookie dough brand. It's vegan, gluten-free, enhanced with adaptogens and vitamins. And holy crap, you guys, it is so delicious. I wish this was an ad, but it is not. I am just genuinely so obsessed with Doe. You can eat it raw or bake it, and it's delicious both ways. I personally like the chocolate chip raw, and I like the brownie batter baked. They also have really expanded into a functional foods brand. So they have a new product that's like a better-for-you Nutella called Drip. And fabulous news, we have a code for a 20% discount. So use the code LIFESNACKS for 20% off on the Doe website. I'll link it in the show notes and then buy dough, buy drip and tag me on social. Let me know what you think because you're going to freak out. It's so good. Diving into today's conversation, Sabina is just the coolest. We talk about her career journey that led her to founding Doe. We talk about her Shark Tank appearance and what it's really like to be behind the scenes on Shark Tank and why it really is just as crazy and intimidating of experience that you see on TV and how Sabina prepared herself and handled the situation. We also talked about what it's like to look yourself up on Reddit after a nationwide appearance on a show like that and how Sabina handled the critics, the haters, and all the feedback and what she learned from the entire experience of being on Shark Tank. This interview was so much fun and Sabina is so insightful and offered just so much advice for anyone thinking about starting their own company or just struggling to find the right path in their career journey. I know you guys will absolutely love Sabina and our conversation, so let's jump in. Sabina, we like to start on Life Snacks with the most important and telling question about you, and that is, what is your favorite snack right now, and what was your favorite childhood snack? Um, am I allowed to say dough? <laughs> I think you can have dough and then a runner-up. 
<laughs> maybe I'll do, maybe I'll do a savory snack. Um, okay. So for savory, cause I still, I eat sweet things as snacks, not necessarily as desserts, but for savory, I'm obsessed with Ithaca hummus. Have you tried mm, that yet? Yeah, so it good. The lemon and dill flavor. That's the one I actually have in my fridge. <laughs> to die for and i i usually have it with like those trader joe's everything crackers and it is so fucking good usually i can't eat i'm one of those people that like eats dinner while we're making dinner and mm-hmm. like I'm so irritated because he's like we're gonna sit down and eat dinner um but i'll i'll like bust that out during, during yeah. while we're cooking or while he's cooking really and i'm like <laughs> vegetables and i'll i'll like down that whole um container of hummus um and then growing up i was not as healthy so i grew up eating the standard american diet so really um honestly kind of like bad for you snacks um i would say any Frito-Lay product, which a lot of people don't know this, but Frito-Lay owns like every single chip. And I used to work at Frito-Lay. So I loved Flaming Hot Cheeto Puffs mm. with like very specific, like Flaming Hot Cheetos. Obviously there's like a whole cult following around that. But the puffs, there's, they're like soft, like obviously nothing natural about them. Um, but sometimes when, you know, I have a moment, I'll still have them. Like, yeah. I usually let myself have them like, you know, a couple times a year. <laughs> they're, they're, they're puff line. It's just like, it was like a drunk purchase, but I bought yes. the white cheddar Cheeto puffs so and good. they are, they're so good. Like yeah. unmatched. So I feel like they've reinvented like a lot of their stuff to be like, they're like baked puffs. I'm like, it's like, these are healthy. I know it's like slightly better for you, but like not really. <laughs> yeah, not at all. But I, I still love them. You know, it, it all works together. You got to eat eat the normal snacks and then the healthier snacks. Yeah, exactly. Sabina, what did you think you were going to pursue as your career when you graduated from college and what are you actually doing today? Um, so it's funny because I, I wanted, when I was originally applying to college, you have to pick a major, which is kind of crazy. Like yeah. now that I look back on it, why was I picking my major when I was 17 years old? Like I had no idea what You're I wanted. Nuts. To yeah. And so I, I wanted to either my two top ones, which my family was like, absolutely not was, um, social work was the first one. And then the second was, um, fashion. Mm, really for the high paying majors. Exactly. Well, exactly. They were like, uh, are you sure you want to do that? And I was like, I was like such a nerdy kid where I, you know, had to have the 4.0. I like cared about my class rank. Um, and so it's kind of also like, yeah, let me pick like the lowest paying job <laughs> possible. Um, and I ended up not going to college for either, either of those. So what I wrote on my um, application was engineering, which I hate following rules. That would have been yeah. a horrible paper. Um, and then business, I actually picked supply chain management, which I almost, um, with supply chain management, people are like, what is that? I essentially found out what buyers do at big fashion companies. So like Saks, Bergdorf. And I was like, okay, what is this like buyer role? And I found out that a lot of them are connected to like the supply chain operations major somehow. And so my original goal was to finagle my way into fashion through business and not actually be like a designer or anything like yeah. that. But um, choose supply chain so I could be a buyer at, you know, call it like Saks or parties. Um, and then I, you know, ended up going into junk food. So <laughs> Uh, but I feel like that happens a lot. 
you go to college for one thing and then you realize like, okay, that's not what I want to do. I did one internship in supply chain and I was like, this is horrible. And I was, I was literally 20 and I was, I was like this diverse young woman wearing like this cute little H and M pencil skirt, like to work. And I was surrounded by these like 60 year old white men. And I was like, uh, maybe this isn't the job for me. <laughs> I was like the only woman there. It was oh so weird. Um, so I decided not to do supply chain. I ended up going to work at, um, at PepsiCo or at Frito-Lay um, on the Lay's potato chips brand. And today you have dough, uh, better for you, cookie dough brand. So can you tell us how you founded the brand? What's the mission behind it? What the heck is dough? It's like crack. Tell us more. <laughs> I love people say that. Uh, well, no, my favorite compliment is when people say this doesn't even taste healthy. Because mm-hmm. that that, is- that's a compliment. Like that's the kind of, yeah. that's what my boyfriend actually said about it because I bring home like all the stuff. I'm like, it's really good. And Joe's like, it's not. Lauren. It's not. I'm like, yeah. Yeah, well, but- our palates have probably adjusted to mm-hmm. make healthy food. Like we think it tastes better than it does. Cause we've transitioned our palate. Totally. To like totally. palate. Um, but yeah, it's funny. Cause you'll go into, you know, these health food stores or like air Right. And you will try all these better for you or good for you snacks. And they often don't taste great, right? Like they're not delicious. And you kind of always have this trade-off of, am I going to eat this because it's healthy or do I really want to eat this because it's delicious? And and it's usually a trade-off, but that is, that's essentially like what we're combating. Like we want the original, um, the original mission was making good for you taste good. Um, and so I, I founded the company during the pandemic and I know a lot of people hate talking about the pandemic, so we don't have to talk about it. (laughs) Um, so we, you know, I, I founded it in, I concepted it in June of 2020 and then we launched it officially in October of 2020, um, because, you know, we were all at home. That's fast. I was, it's super fast. Well, What's interesting is I concepted it originally as because I was taking a ton of vitamins and supplements. So I was taking like elderberry and vitamin C and zinc and all this, all these vitamins and they were getting stuck in my throat and I would have heartburn and I essentially had like vitamins fatigue Um, and I wanted it in a real food product. And, you know, I explored that category. I wanted it in a cookie, like a famous Amos cookie form. Um, and I explored that category and I was like, look, this is super saturated. Like, I don't know that I want to get into this space. Um, and so kind of took a different spin on it with cookie dough when I, you know, you always have that nostalgic, like eating it as a kid when you're not supposed to kind of thing. Um, I was like, well, what if we made this vegan to safe to eat raw gluten-free, took out all the crap in it, take out the refined sugars, take out the animal byproducts, all that stuff, and then put in some good for you stuff. So put in, you know, the zinc, the elderberry, maca, things like that, trending ingredients that people want to incorporate in their diet, and they might not know how to incorporate them. Um, And so originally, when we first like, quote unquote, launched in August and September, we were doing these Instagram drops, like, I don't know who I thought we were almost like we were like Supreme or something. We were like, <laughs> I we're love it though. Limited quantity drops. And I was like, we're like a, a tiny brand um, and had like no followers, but that kind of started the virality because, you know, you unintentionally do limited. I was doing limited quantity because I could only make so much, but like really what it turned into is holy crap, I have to get my hands on it before they sell out in 30 minutes. And so, you know, people would like set their alarms at 10 a.m. on Monday um, or like OG, OG customers. And so I, I put in my own money, launched the brand in October and 
what started as this like healthy cookie dough kind of transformed into almost like a functional foods brand. So we started with cookie dough. We expanded to a healthy Nutella, which if you haven't tried, I need to send to you. It's so good. I know I need to try it. I haven't yet, but it's delightful. Uh, well, and it's fun because it's also an ingredient. So mm-hmm. you can like eat it by itself or you, you know, put it on stuff or bake with it, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we have kind of this platform where we're extending into snacks and breakfast. And so it's almost if you think like you know, 20 years ago, like in Annie's, like they, they essentially cleaned up a lot of the yeah. bad for you products. And what we're doing is we're cleaning up, removing the dairy, making it gluten-free, and then we're adding in good fruit ingredients. So we're taking it kind of to that next wave. Oh, well, I'm so excited to hear what else is coming soon. I kind of want to talk about your career, not like the whole backstory behind each job, but like if someone is looking at your resume, they are like, wow, did she plan on launching this food brand? Cause she worked at PepsiCo and then diamond foods. And then you worked for M13. I believe that was like, yeah. you're helping launch companies. So did one, did you plan on launching a product? Was that always your end goal in your career? Cause it looks like you had these perfect, like two year windows at these companies to do this. And what did you take from all of that experience to help you launch though? Yeah. It's kind of funny. Cause at the time, At the time, I really thought I was scattered. Like I thought if somebody looked at my resume, I was like, somebody's going to be like, what the hell is she? Like, she's like going, she like worked at a big CPG company and then she's going into consulting. And then she like randomly decided she wanted to be in venture capital and working with startups. Like Hmm. it at the time felt so scattered. And that was like, I was pretty buttoned up, I would say in my twenties. And so not having that linear story was really scary, but those were the moments when I was transitioning between jobs where I was kind of like, I'm I'm a Pisces. So I rely heavily on my intuition. Um, And so I was kind of like tapping into my intuition being like, no, this feels right. And this is kind of like, this is what you want to do versus it needs to look great on paper, which we just, we get caught up. And like, I mean, I still do sometimes, but like, and my husband does like, and a lot of my friends do get caught up with like what things look like and like how you want to tell the story. And you don't realize until you're at, you know, what you're, you're doing, what you're supposed to do, which is dough now that like, Oh, that totally makes sense. Right. Like working at those companies and like that path actually makes complete sense. Totally. And it's, it's like hindsight 2020. So, um, it is kind of crazy because when I was jumping around, I one was worried that I was jumping too much because if you think about our parents' generation, it wasn't like two years and out. It was like, you need to stay at a company for at least yeah. five years. Oh my gosh. <laughs> my dad's like, I worked at the same company for nine years to get two weeks of PTO or something like insane. Know, that sucks. <laughs> like that sounds like a huge mess. That sounds horrible, dad. <laughs> um, no, and that's, and, and like they, they do stay. I mean, like they stay at companies for, you know, even at Pepsi, like 20, 30 years. Um, and moving is not something you do. You kind of work, work your way up. But for me, it ended up being about getting the right experiences. And when those places didn't serve me anymore, that's when I was like, okay, what is it? Like, for example, when I was at Pepsi or when I was at Diamond Foods, I was like, I've been in food and beverage and I've been in consumer packaged goods for, you know, the last four years. And I need a more, like a bigger breadth of 
experiences. So I, all I knew was snacks. Like that's all I had worked yeah. in any other industry. And I was like, how, like, I feel so pigeonholed and I feel almost like claustrophobic in my career. I literally want to go work in every single other type of industry, which is why McKinsey made sense because, you know, at a consulting firm like that, you can, you, I worked on everything from you know, luxury cars. I worked on um, media and telco. I worked on like medical waste management, which is like a disgusting, <laughs> like, so gross. but like, those are, I got to, you know, build the repertoire and I, I, I came back, which is funny. Like I came back to food and beverage, but it at least allowed me to explore a bunch of different things. Absolutely. I feel like it's so interesting that you share that you felt scattered. And then it's like someone like me looking at it is like, wow, you did that so perfectly. Right. Because you can't put together the pieces like looking forward, but looking backwards, you can always be like, Oh, I guess the pieces did fit together. So what did you learn in those careers that helped you launch dough? Yeah. So it's, it's interesting because in big CPG or in big companies in general, like a lot of people like to knock that they, you know, move slowly or like there's a lot of red tape and there's a lot of bad things about big companies, which, you know, I don't disagree, but there is a lot of kind of like gold standard marketing that you learn at a big consumer company. So whether it's like Procter and Gamble or Nestle or like these big major brands, I mean, they launched Oreo, right? Like yeah. they launched wow. like, these like big, like brands that we all feel something when we think about them. And so what you learn there is really a lot about consumer insights. So like what makes me and you tick Um, and not like the basics of like, oh, I'm trying to eat clean, right? Like you go these levels deeper of, and it might seem like at the time I was like, we're talking about snacks, right? We're talking about potato. Is it really that deep? Like you can do that at the time. But it really is like when you, when I have a bite of dough, when I have a bite of cookie dough, like right out of the jar, watching reality TV and having a glass of like red wine in the cold, like that is a moment for me to just like breathe out and relax. And that is a moment that like is just for me. And that type of consumer insight, you, you learn how to kind of get to those, what makes people tick at those big companies. And so I would say like learning the gold standard marketing and at the time, I mean, it was 2012 when I started at Pepsi. So we were still doing a ton of TV. So like Super Bowl type commercials, like it was like, and so like being on set at those types of places, like that was a wild experience of learning TV, learning, um, even like radio, which was kind of crazy. That's like, so funny. Like radio ads now, obviously transition to podcast ads, but, um, doing radio ads, doing like print, which was another like kind of medium. So like you learn those kind of traditional mediums. And then at the time at Pepsi, I was also transitioning our marketing budget from all of those traditional buckets to digital. And so the whole team was focused on, you know, hundred percent of our marketing budget is these traditional avenues. How do we convert it to at least 50% digital? And so that was at the time, like launching a Facebook page for a brand was like crazy. And so, and like now brands are founded on Instagram, literally like a la dough, but um, that, you know, that learning of like getting the gold standard was super important. And then I would say at McKinsey, you know, that the breath really means that you have to learn an industry really quickly. So like you spend maybe four weeks on a, I mean, as, as little as like two weeks on a project, if it's a fast due diligence. So two weeks on a project, anywhere from like 
you know, three or four months on a project. And so you have to essentially learn an industry so fast, like in a matter of days. And so being able to take a ton of information, absorb it, and then provide a recommendation is actually in like a short amount of time is actually really difficult because you're, you're like unsure. Um, and that's helped a lot with dough because I'm like, there are things that I am experienced in, in, in TPG, but there are a lot of things that are new to me. So like the manufacturing side, for example, is really complex. And like, you think, you know, you just like put it in a giant mixer and like it makes the product, but it's so nuanced and there's so many things that can go wrong. So being able to like, if there is a problem with a product or something like that, you know, go to a bunch of different sources, collect all the thoughts and then make a, you know, a sound decision from it is really important. And that like, I would never give that up of how, how I learned that at McKinsey. Um, and then in venture capital at M13, M13 was such a unique place because we had the investment side of the house, but then we had this venture studio or this launch pad that I created where we actually launched brands. Um, and the, the interesting thing about doing that and versus just being on the investing side is you actually learn how to operate from zero to one, which, you know, obviously PepsiCo can't really teach you that because there's a big safety net and McKinsey's not going to teach you that. And so being able to figure out how these founders and doing it ourselves, how you get from like nothing to creating something out of thin air is like, there's, there's truly an art and a science to it. Like some of it you can replicate by, by watching other brands. And then some of it is almost this, like this, like founder magic that you can't really put your finger on, but, um, figuring out what are all the components and like, how do you, you know, successfully create a brand from zero to one that is essentially like how I launched Joe. So I credit M13 and that experience a lot in, um, in figuring out how to test the brand really early on. Did you launch any CPG brands at M13 or was yeah, it? So, okay. um, yeah. So we launched three brands, two were in partnership with Procter and Gamble Ventures. Um, so one is called Bodewell. It's a chronic skin conditions brand. So things like eczema, psoriasis, things like that. Um, the second is called Kindra. It's a menopause brand, which is really interesting because nobody really, you know, gave a shit about that space. And yeah. like, we weren't really focusing on boomers. And now it's huge. It's, yeah, it's huge. And, and like millennials are starting older, like the oldest millennials are starting to hit that like pre-menopause phase, right? They're like turning 40, the oldest millennials are. So um, now they actually give a shit probably. <laughs> um, and then the third is called Ray, um, which is formerly called Cielo when we had launched it. But Ray is um, a women's nutrition brand. So it, we launched it, there are two founders that came on with it and we launched it with Target. Um, and it's, you know, supplements, drops, like very much so in that nutrition space. Wow. Well, what an incredible experience to like be able to touch all of those things in your career path, tapping in to like the learning, the gold standard of marketing. I want to talk about the dough brand because yeah. it's incredible. Like, I feel like it's, it talks to like pop culture and funny jokes and so many different pieces, like how you mentioned earlier, it makes you feel something that's genuinely what dough does. So what, like whose voice is behind that? I assume it's yours from the start, but like, how have you really thought through developing that relationship with your community? Cause I feel like dough really does have a community. Yeah. And it's interesting because a lot of startups will be like, well, at the outset, be like, we want a community. And, but almost if you say it, it's like kind of weird. You know? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, that's weird to like say out loud. Um, but it's 
What's interesting is when we started, we started basically on social, right? Like we started on Instagram and the goal was always to never be insular. So that is, that's what I think a lot of specifically like food and beverage brands or just like brands on Instagram struggle with is they talk about themselves a lot. And like, at the end of the day, like people aren't going to follow you if they just see cookies every single post, like that's so boring. Right. And so we were like, how do we make it funny, witty, and, you know, tuned into what's actually happening in the world, which also like, I was just talking to our social media manager about this is like, it's hard because you want to plan out your calendar for the next month, but you, you have to leave these like couple days empty because something might come up that's, you know, super interesting or funny or like the Kardashians do something and you're like, yeah, totally. for me. Like, you know, mm-hmm. and so, um, that it makes it a little more it, like less, um, less able to plan if you will. But that's to say, I would say it's a little bit of all of our team members voices too. So the goal was make sure we have personality, which a lot of brands kind of like dilute. And the second is how do we incorporate like the best part of people's personality? And I don't think we did this. Like we didn't outright say like, let's do that, but that's how it kind of ended up happening. So like, whether it's, you know, Cameron who runs our social media, like her design eye and like aesthetic paired with like my humor, you know, like paired with Patrick, who's our head of marketing. He's this like fab gay guy who is just like so in touch with everything, right? Like paired with like his view on the world, like it, it kind of combines a little bit of everyone's and it's human. And I think that's what like the differentiator is. It's like, it's not like a bunch of stock images, right? It's like human. It's not beautiful. We don't have like this beautiful grid that I think, you know, millennials are guilty of two or three years ago where it was like, it has to be this like beautiful. Like pastel. all white. Yeah. Yeah. Or like this like pastel millennial mm-hmm, yeah. grid. It's like, we don't need that. We need things that are funny. We need video. We need like engaging content. And so, um, that's at least like what we found on Instagram. TikTok is a whole nother world that we're like, we're learning, right? Um, and as our other brands, but I would say like, we're doing pretty well on TikTok comparatively. And we've had, we've had a few viral ones, but different things really work on both of those platforms. Like TikTok really care, like TikTok really likes the BTS. Like they love the like, you know, are us talking about the team or like, us showing in the factory, like how the product is made, like TikTok loves the nitty gritty, like behind the scenes, like the not perfect stuff. And then Instagram likes a little bit more of like that humor, like the design, the pop culture, like that sort of thing. That makes sense. It's, it's funny because I think what a lot of brands might be nervous about or like don't do well is like the controversial stuff, which is the best part, like the really in tune stuff or just like the little like edgy stuff, like your bags that are like, like it raw or whatever. It's, it's, it's great though, because it's relatable. If it was just like dough, it's like, okay, that's like really cute. It's so, it's so great. And it's so well done. I kind of want to talk about this in terms of your shark tank appearance. Cause I want to dive into that. Yeah. All of the media you guys did around that was killer. Just like the silly girls, we shouldn't negotiate or <laughs> everything. Everything was so well done. So let's talk about your shark take appearance, diving into that. What was that like? What did you do to prepare? And what was like the behind the scenes that maybe people watching the episode didn't see? Yeah, it's, it is 
a wild experience. Like going through that, I'm now, if I talk to an investor or talk to a retailer or anything like that, I literally have zero fear now because I was literally in a room of people yelling at me, like, you know, like barking questions at me and talking over each other. And like, I had to manage that room. Um, and like now it's crazy. I feel like I can do anything. Um, but it was, it, it's a lot of work that goes behind it that you don't, you don't see, cause you see it on TV for six minutes. Yeah. So nobody knows how many hours. So I would say I worked on it, you know, over a hundred hours, um, you know, working with, them obviously. And then you, you know, like practicing the pitch and like getting all your, your business financials together, like doing all of that work. It is quite a bit of work and it's for months. So started working on it in February, didn't film until July. And then, um, and then in the, what you also don't see is you see six minutes of it, but you really film for much longer. And so there's a little bit of context missing. Right. And so, and, and I obviously, uh, like myself being on podcasts and like in the brand itself, we are a little more vocal about those aspects, which is what, what you saw in, you know, our, our Instagram posts, you know, immediately after one of them being, this is too high calorie. Yes. Addressing that is so important because so many comments on both TikTok and on Instagram from a lot of women being like, this is why, like I had an eating disorder growing up. Right. Yeah. This is what, like, this is such a, you know, for lack of a better word, like fucked narrative and you're unable to kind of see how we as a brand or like me as a person, how I think of that phrase or like when someone says it about calories, but it really is triggering for a lot of people. And it, you know, it completely goes against our ethos, which is about eating whole ingredients, you know, eating clean, eating plant-based, um, and calories, like, Yes, we do have lower sugar and lower carbs than your average and like slightly lower calories, but we're not talking about that because that's not what's important. That's not the point. Like yeah, that's not the point. And so, um, and by the way, like our product, because it's not made with refined sugar makes you feel so satiated when you eat one bite or one cookie that like, you don't feel like you need to like binge eat the entire thing. And so there is there, it's hard to explain our kind of viewpoint on something like that, but we were able to quickly after airing and and this is again like it requires you to be able to move fast which our marketing team is so like Patrick and Cameron are so good at doing in moving quickly after assessing what happens because we didn't know what would air so like we're like okay let's figure out what's airing and then let's figure out what our our marketing plan is afterwards we had like a couple of things that were planned but for the most part it was like we need to move quickly on it and so this is too high calorie or even the negotiation thing yeah. where um, it was just interesting. People tell you not to Google yourself after the show, but like I'm a human being. So I, I you know, like looked it up on Reddit and Twitter and whatnot. And a, a lot of on like, a lot of like, she should sit down and not negotiate. And I was like, would you say that about a man? Like, would you say he shouldn't negotiate? <laughs> Isn't that like the point and like not to get into actually what happened, but like, yeah, yeah you are like in the right to negotiate. You should was- absolutely negotiate. And so that is um, that. And, and often like, you know, it's hard because being a woman in like a, a corporate job or like in business, you often feel this fear to even to ask for things. Right. So to ask for a higher salary or to ask for a promotion or to ask for valuing your company, what you think it's worth, like there is already that innate fear. So to get those types of comments afterwards too, it's like, 
it's, it's almost like, like continuing that narrative of women should be afraid to, you know, negotiate or stand up for ourselves or ask for a promotion or ask for a raise or whatever it is. So, um, anyway, that's all to say we were, we were able to use the episode in, and honestly, the comments that happened after the episode into almost a positive and an educator. And you can tell by the shares, likes, comments, like those are our most engaged posts by far. And we have pretty high engagement um, because people just resonated with it. And especially, you know, young women who's our, our target consumer, they were like, thank you for saying something. And like, it's not easy to say the controversial stuff, right? Because as a brand, you want to appeal to everyone. And, you know, that's why brands get watered down, but being able to, you know, not just make jokes, but also talk about like feminism and empowerment and, you know, food safety, if you will, or like feeling, feeling good about what you're putting in your body versus counting calories, like being able to take a stand on all of those, I think gives us more of that personality and people who that's not for them, then it's not for them. Right. Like, fine, don't, don't buy our products, but the people that resonate with it and like really do want that from a brand, you know, they'll, they'll really appreciate it. Absolutely. I think so many brands try to be everything for everyone. And then you end up being like nothing because you're, you're just everything across the board. And like you said, you're so watered down. I was just talking to a founder about this earlier today. So I think all of your points are so strong and especially just like that is your consumer, young women or just women in general. A lot of us, I feel like at least a lot of the influencers you work with and it's like, those are things that are near and dear to our heart. So addressing them is so important. Yeah. Yeah. And we grew up like we grew up in the nineties where diet culture was just wild, right? It was, yeah. rampant. it was low fat, everything like just so put- funny. Cause now it's like fucking keto. Yeah. Which is like the complete opposite. Yeah, I know. Yeah. And like, or like, I just remember, you know, in college people being like, Oh, I can't eat an avocado cause it's too high fat. And it's like, that's an avocado. Like, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> oh my God. But then it's like, let me eat this quest bar. Yeah. yeah. Um, or let me eat these low fat, like chips yeah. or that have a bunch of like crap in them. And so it's everyone does. I mean, like people do uh, when it comes to diets or like eating or whatever, like people do what's right for them. But you know, we don't stand for low fat and low calories and we stand for kind of like whole foods, whole ingredients, like making you feel good about what you're putting in your body. And that is, like that's all we can speak to, but yeah, it's, it's kind of wild how the pendulum swings, swings so much when it comes to like diets. Absolutely. And I feel like everyone has found themselves in a place like following something at some point. And this idea of just like focusing on the ingredients is something I'm like a huge proponent on also something that has like solved all my stomach issues and things like that. Are you like an that. IBS babe? <laughs> I'm not, but like I, as a kid, like my, my parents thought I had Crohn's, like so many things I should stomach yeah. aches, but it's like, if you really pay attention to the ingredients and like goddamn xanthan gum that's in oh everything, yeah, it's, it's, that, it's like, been game changing. Yeah. yeah that, so, I used to have, a, I used to, was a stomachache kid too. I would always yeah. like, whenever I'd get checkups, they would be like, you have any problems? And I was like, I just like always have a stomach ache. Stomach ache. <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh. And then the doctors would tell my mom, like, maybe she's just like an anxious kid. Like, well, yeah, but like, I still have a stomach ache. Yeah. I'm anxious. I have very high anxiety, but, yeah. also my stomach still hurts, so. but my stomach still hurts. I'm not making this up. 
<laughs> like maybe it's the Cheetos that I'm eating. <laughs> yeah. It's the goldfish and Sprite diet. Yeah. Um, going into your experience on Shark Tank and talking about fear, like what was it feeling like when you walked onto stage? Like what was going through your head and how did you, like, how do you approach fearful situations like that in your life or just when fear comes up also in general? Oh my God. That's such a good question. Um, so what's funny is like you, you practice like walking. Right. And so, and like you like visualize yourself like going on the stage. So it doesn't become as, as like scary, but the one thing I was thinking was I was wearing heels, which by the way, people had comments about the heels. They were kitten heels. They were like the tiniest yeah. professional heels you could it wear. It also looked so cute. Like that was a great, it was great Thank outfit so all around. <laughs> I was like, why do people have so much to say about this outfit? Uh, I thought it was great. I was like, yeah. I'm going to wear this again. The hot <laughs> I was obsessed with it. But anyways, so, um, so the kitten heels, I was like, okay, don't fall. Was, it was like the first thing I was thinking of like, don't like trip them because you, you get like one shot. It truly is like what you see on TV. Like you get one shot, you don't get to like, you know, record it again or whatever. Um, and so that was, that was step one. And then two, it was kind of weird because, and I don't know how to describe it. There were like a couple of things that were going on. There was one, this almost out of body experience of like me observing myself answering questions, which, and like doing the pitch. Like I remember doing the pitch and there are parts of the pitch that like, you have to be a little over the top, like obviously in, in personality and I'm, I'm bubbly, but like not that bubbly. And so, um, I like remember thinking like, oh, this is so cringe. <laughs> and so like, but I was like observing myself while I was doing it, which is kind of wild. Um, and then the other thing is like, you're, you're thinking while you're responding. And so you're doing at any point in time, you're doing like two things at once. And so I was like, literally I'd be like answering questions or like responding to something while I'm thinking about like how it will be perceived. Yeah. Or like the next question could be that comes of it. And then the, the like other kind of dynamic at play is you're kind of managing the room, which is really difficult. So like you're, it's so chaotic because you're getting questions, right? I mean, it truly is how you see on TV. It's like you, you're getting questions from everyone and you have to almost like manage mm-hmm. people, which is yeah. weird. It's like you're, and whereas like you're, you would think the roles would be reversed. And so um, those are kind of like the, the dynamics that were going on. So the fear that you start with, which is honestly like overwhelming, like talk about like, if you're, you know, when you're like about to have a panic attack, like yeah. have you ever had that feeling of like, mm-hmm. oh, it's coming. Like I usually have it on planes. It's like that you're almost like there, but then things get so chaotic that it like, it's like a wave like comes over you. Everything is so, it's like you're thinking, talking and managing all at the same time. So it almost like goes away because you're in this like fight or flight moment where you are like, okay, I have to fight. So like, I just need to like fuck up and like do this. Um, And so that's kind of how it went is like it, it transitioned. And then towards the end, there's obviously a different feeling because like, you know, sharks start to get out or like, they like give you the feedback or whatever it is. So like the pitch to the Q and a, to the end, which is, you know, you exiting are all such different emotions that the end is more like a little defeated, a little like, Oh, did I like do something wrong? A little mm-hmm. like, reflective of yeah. like, you know, like how was, like, how was I like mm-hmm. when I was doing the Q and a, so it's such a different feeling through that whole roller coaster. Oh my gosh. I, I want to know what you did after. Cause you probably, I, I can't even imagine like the feeling after you yeah. walk out, but what advice would you give to someone then in like a pitching situation or just like someone that's kind of like navigating intense fears like that or going through a situation like that? 
Yeah. So, well, it's funny because now I was telling you when I talk to investors or buyers or any, yeah, I'm like not nervous at all. Like this is, this is fine. Um, I think, so a lot of what I did was faking the confidence. And that's a lot of what I still do. A lot of founders have imposter syndrome. Like they, people look at it and they're like, oh my gosh, you've had so much success. Like you've been on Shark Tank and like, you know, all these like celebrities are posting and whatnot. And like, you do recognize those wins, but you still at the same time are like, okay, great. Like now I have to grow the business to $5 million next year, you know, or like whatever it is. And so you have this kind of imposter syndrome of, oh, did I get lucky or am I on the right path or am I doing this right or am I making the right decisions? Um, And I think faking that confidence helps you not, not just in the day-to-day situations, but also when you're talking to people. Um, and it's a little bit of, and you know this because of like your background and what you do for a living. It's a little bit of like the sell mode of like, you have to be able to sell people and market to people. But at the same time, when you do that, you're doing it to yourself. So like, I almost like manipulate my brain to, um, when I sell, I get more excited myself because I'm like, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, everything is great. You know, yeah. like, you're doing a great job. Totally. And, I'm and so I'd say like that, faking the confidence. And then the other thing is a lot of people don't talk about those lows that come with doing something like this. And a lot of that fear comes out of the lows, right? So when we have, you know, a production that goes wrong or, you know, when we can't get product shipped out in time for Whole Foods or like, there's like major, major things where it's like, holy shit, like everything's going to end here, right? Like you often often think that. And then that's when like the fear starts to roll in. Um, And one thing I've been doing, this is super tactical, but one thing I've been doing for that is reading this book called The Daily Stoic. Have you heard of it? It's um, I feel like someone else might have suggested it. It sounds familiar. It's great. So I I am not a voracious reader, just like because of time. I can maybe read, you know, like once a week or whatever it is. But with this, it's a super short passage. So you read it daily. You read it. I, love it. I read it right when I wake up. And so before I touch my phone, which is really hard to do, and like before I do anything, I literally wake up, turn on the light, and I read um one passage, which it's dated. So mm-hmm. you have like, you know, your December um 17th passage. And it teaches you how to almost like remain even keeled and manage your emotions, which you know, doing, doing what I do and not just doing what I do, like any sort of like job or life struggle that you have, have the high highs and the low lows. And, you know, that fear that you're talking about, but being able to kind of keep it here, like even healed and still have some highs and lows, but not be so extreme in the highs and lows that just helps you manage your mental health a little more. So the daily showing is all about stoicism and how to, um, you know, and, and the, sometimes it's really tactical tips. Sometimes it's a little more in theory and philosophy, which is what makes it interesting to read. Um, but how to essentially like keep yourself even healed, no matter if things are going really shitty or if things are going great and, and not almost like reacting either way. And then when you stop that reacting, you have less of those kind of the, the negative emotions that come with mm-hmm. that, whether that's anxiety or fear or whatnot. That's a great recommendation. I'm going to link that in the show notes. I feel like anyone with any life that's their living, Any like can use it. Yeah, totally. Like in general, totally. Going into like you, I believe you live in LA, correct? Yes. Yeah. There is a lot of food founders there. I feel like it's like very trendy food brands are born yeah. out of that area. How do you navigate comparison? And also how has that worked to your advantage in terms of like finding mentors and investors? 
Yeah. So I know it's hard not to compare, right? Cause you also, you know, what brands launched when you launched. And so, and you know, you know, the success stories. So like you can listen to how I built this and listen to RX bars story. Right. And you're like, Holy crap. Like RX bar sold for like hundreds of millions of dollars to general mills. And you're like, Oh, like, is that what I need to do? Right. Like, yeah, totally. Like and so, um, and a lot of people say this, like that comparison is a thief of joy. Like I've heard that a, a ton, especially lately. Um, wait, my like favorite Peloton instructor says that too. <laughs> yes. Um, and so that is that like trying not to compare, but also being almost supportive of those wins and the food, the food and beverage, and especially consumer packaged goods, that community is so tight that like most people you just become friends with. Right. So like I have a weekly call with um, Mesa from Behave, who makes um, this uh, lower sugar, better for you gummy, um, like candies. And we chat every week and we are so transparent, like so transparent about all the crappy things and then all the like amazing things too. And like, she genuinely, like when I, when I aired on Shark Tank, she sent me a massage, which was by the way, the best gift yeah, that is a good after gift. something like that. Yeah. Because you're like, Oh my God, like I haven't, I haven't been, I haven't gotten a massage since like pre COVID. And then two, it's like, that's exactly what a founder needs. And she was genuinely so excited and happy for me. And being able to turn that comparison into like being happy for someone is so important. And I, I think a lot of, especially female founders in this space. So Mesa's one, Katie from Belly Welly is one, like we've all kind of built this like almost unintentional. There are formal networks for it, obviously like black groups and whatnot, but we've built this like unintentional like friendship and they are some of my favorite people now. And whether I'm having a great day and I need to like brag to someone, I'm like, Oh my God, we just, you know, like Aaron on Shark Tank or whether it's me being like, holy crap, like, what do you do when you have a product that goes bad and like, you need to pull it right. Or like, whatever, like those extreme situations you can, we text each other, we voice on each other, we call each other. And so that community is, is super strong. And it's almost, you can't like build, you can't like fake build that, right? Like you can't just like put everyone in a Slack group. And there are a lot of good ones. I would say like that of, of Slack groups of like more of the, the like professional networking type thing, but those true friendships where like, if I just need to like cry really quick, I can actually call. I mean, and I met both of those women in the last year. So it's kind of crazy. Yeah. Like when you talk about making adult friends, absolutely like, crazy to like call someone crying, but like, I would absolutely feel comfortable doing that. And so that, um, I think just making those genuine relationships for with your peers, at least, I think that helps with the comparison. Um, and then when it comes to investors, so I actually do have a lot of you know, former founders and people in the space that are investors in Doe. Um, and those are the most valuable people. So like Jake Casson is one, he's a founder of movement watches and he and I are also friends now, but he, he really speaks out about the mental health part of it, which not a lot of people do. Um, especially when you're a solo founder and you don't have another like co-founder to, you know, vent to about this. And even then, like you still, it's, it's still lonely yeah, and scary. Yeah. yeah. And scary. And like, a, a, and not a lot of people experience it. So he, you know, will will not just do these talks, but like, we'll get into talk. I mean, like, we'll be at like a party or like a panel and like, we'll get into these really deep talks about like the, the mental health part of it. And that is, that is so valuable to have him, not just as an investor and a cheerleader, 
And by the way, like giving super tactical advice on like running Facebook ads and Instagram ads and like that sort of thing, operating the business, but then also taking it that step deeper and like getting really deep on it is a really big mental health toll. And like, even him, who's like super successful, sold his company in Movado, like he's still going through it. And so that, that makes you feel less alone. Um, and it makes you feel like even just sharing these like tips and tricks on like, whether it's journaling and meditating and like, whatever you do that works for you, that, that really does help in, um, in kind of like taking care of yourself, if that makes sense. Is there a key piece of advice or like a piece of one piece of advice that stands out that a mentor has given you in this process? I'm trying to think, um, well, the earliest piece, we talked a little bit about this earlier, but the earliest piece of advice that I got that has, I literally think about it every day is the high, the highs are high and the lows are low. So just try to remain even keeled throughout all of it. And that is when I have a win and and not to be like negative, but when I have a win, I don't get super excited. Right. I'm like happy, but I don't get super excited. And then thus, when I have a loss, it doesn't hurt me. Like I don't burst into tears, (laughs) you know, like I used to like six months ago, I would literally burst into tears. And so that, you know, reading things like the daily stoic, even meditating, you know, a few times a week, like that, that kind of helps me remain even keeled because you really don't realize how much of a roller coaster yeah. it is. And I mean, I can't even imagine next year when it's going to be. <laughs> it's it's like that quote, the highs don't last any longer than the lows do. Like it's a good reminder on both sides. I also like your point, just talking about like the friends you've made in the space, in the sense that like you have weekly calls with, I think it's like this concept that we all rise together. And sometimes like the person you think you might want to be friends with that's already sold their company for like the RX bar founders. It's like, you're actually going to find so much more value and like connecting with people on your level and rising together as like you're growing together. I think I found that through the same thing, right? You're going through the same pain points and the same, like, you know, even like earlier this year, um, during the, during like black Friday, uh, advertising was so expensive. So even being able to like, be like, holy shit, like are, are your ads, did your ads just like plummet? Right. Are they, are they still doing well? Like being able to almost like commiserate too. Cause you're going through the exact same thing. Right. Whereas like someone who's made it. Yeah. You relate to, to your point a little totally. bit. If you could give one person a piece of advice for going after their passion or starting a company, what would it be? I would say, um, I would say, again, I'm a Pisces, so I'm really intuitive. I would say go with your gut and it might not make sense and it might not make sense on paper. And I have, I actually have like quite a few friends who are deciding whether to take the leap right now and like kind of doing things as side hustles and whatnot, but you don't actually know how far you can swim until you're drowning a little bit, you know? And that is like... That was, I mean, even with Doe, I was consulting. So I was consulting for like 20, 30 hours a week with brands um, because I was like, I need a, a paycheck, but I wasn't putting the horsepower. It wasn't, it wasn't a, a life or death for me yet. But as soon as I quit consulting and was only doing Doe, it was life or death. I was like, I literally have to make this work or like sink or swim. Right. And so you don't act. And we did, I mean, I did drown a little bit at the beginning. Like we had a lot of hiccups at the beginning, especially like in the spring of this year where I thought I wasn't coming out the other end of it, but you actually don't know how strong you are until you take that leap. And so it's, it's a little cheesy to say like, believe in yourself and like take that leap, but it might, if you go with your gut, it might not look right. Or it might not appear to even like your friends or whatever, like what you're doing. People, 
by the way, even when I first started Doe, none of my friends are like people out of the woodwork, like people from high school and like family friends and all of those people, like they were just like, oh, cute. Like this little business. Yeah, it's like, oh, your and hobby. Like, you're like my, my company, my, my company. They're literally like, they're like, oh, you're baking. That's what they thought. They're like, oh, you're like baking. And I was like, first of all, I'm horrible in the kitchen. So I'm not just like baking for fun. Like second of all, this is a business. Like this yeah. is a C Corp. I incorporated this business. Um, and now it's funny because people, especially after Shark Tank are like coming out of the woodwork. Um, and they're, they're just like, oh, it's like a real thing. And so it is people at the beginning won't get it. They'll think you're crazy. It will look weird. It might not even like to what we were talking about earlier about following a path in your career. It might look weird in your career. Right. But like, or on your resume, but you won't know how powerful you are until you kind of like take that leap and do it. And so, um, you always have a backup plan. And that is like, I'm, I'm a, I'm, I told you I was buttoned up. So like, I'm pretty much like a backup plan kind of bitch. Like I like love knowing that I can go back to McKinsey or I can, you know, go back to venture or I can take this experience and go consult with other startups. And so as long as you are comfortable with like, yeah, like if this doesn't work in a couple of years, like I have a backup plan that kind of takes the like fear a little bit out of it too. Absolutely. That's such good advice. My last and final question is what advice would you offer to Sabina who just graduated from college? Um, I would tell her to stop caring what other people think. <laughs> I think that is, and I, you know, Gen Z is much better about this than millennials are, I think like, and not to like generalize, but I, I do feel like Gen Z is a generation that it, they kind of like do whatever they want. Right. And like they yeah. do things for themselves versus doing things for other people. Whereas I kind of always had this, like, you know, I have to make enough money. I have to have the title. I have to work for the best brands. Like, and all of that is really external facing, right? Like it's very, it's a little bit for me, but it's a lot for like the outside world. And so not like living for what other people think mm-hmm. of me was it's something that I'm still working on. Yeah, honestly. Uh, I, I still like day to day struggle with that. So, um, just, just trying to kind of be more patient with myself and, and you don't have to be what other people want. and you don't have to kind of like, like, what do you have to prove right to other people? If you're doing what makes you happy and what drives you, then like, that's all that matters. Oh, that's so good. So, so good. Thank you so much. Sabina, I will link Doe links in the show notes, the website, the TikTok, the Instagram, your Instagram. Is there anywhere else we should check out Doe? What's coming soon? What should we look out for? Yeah, just follow us on Eat Dough. We have a couple of, of insane flavor drops that are coming. And then um, we have a couple of actually non-cookie dough products that we're working on that I think people are going to be super, if you're a nostalgic snacks person, I think you're going to be super excited about. So um, yeah, follow us at Eat Dough. And then um, I'll actually send you a promo code you can link to so people can awesome. get a little discount. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. It was so great chatting with you. Thanks so much for listening to my conversation with Sabina. I hope you enjoyed the episode just as much as I did. Don't forget that using the code LIFESNACKS, you get 20% off dough. So head to the link in the show notes to place your first order. And I promise you, you won't regret it. If you liked today's episode, tag Sabina, tag Doe, tag myself. Let us know what resonated. It always makes my day to see people listening. And that's all for me. I'll be back next week with another episode.